Good morning, creative beasties of the world. I hope you got more sleep than I did because I'm running off of five hours. But this is Random Badassery, the podcast on the quest to find creativity, break it down, and understand it. And with me on this conquest, conquest, no, not conquest, but on this journey, is the Sancho to my Ponza, the Don to my Quixote, Mr. Lamwen. Um. That is the most epic intro you've ever given me. Nice. I was about to lose it, probably the thread of the the thought <laughs> about three times. I am so tired. Yeah, good job on navigating that one all the way through. I don't know how that happened, but hey, sometimes you get lucky. Well, you know, you know, actually, I wanted I wanted to tell you something. Every time we start these intros, it reminds me. Did you ever watch the TV show Psych? Oh yeah, I did. I I didn't want much much of it though. I think I only watched like the first season. I want to I, every time we do this, I want to do what he used to do to Gus, where he gives them those crazy names every time. <laughs> I was actually while I was actually waiting for you, I actually wrote some of them down uh, because they just they crack me up. Ovaltine Jenkins, Galileo Humpkins, Lavender Gooms, Squirts Macintosh, <laughs> Chesterfield McMillan. Methuselah Honeysuckle. Oh, Long- I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Long Branch Penny Whistle. Clementine Woolly Socks. And so, so many more. Uh, if you guys have never watched that show, you should watch it. It's pretty funny. And you know what that, that while I was writing those down, you know what that kind of reminds me of is, um, you remember in Cheers, every time Norm would come into the bar, mm-hmm. somebody would ask him how he was doing, and he always had like one of those, he always had something to come back with. Sure. Like, like uh, uh, they say, how's it going? And he'd say, it's a doggy dog world, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. Oh yeah, I actually remember that one. I love, I love that stuff. Uh, my friend John used to, when he was watching the Cheers reruns, he had a notebook and he would write down every one of Norm's little things. Ah, uh, and appropriately enough, I guess that fits into the theme of what today's episode is. For those of you who don't know the format or maybe have forgotten where we are in the grand scheme of things, today is our inspiration episode where Lam and I, we start the episode bringing in a quote that we've run across or that has been recurring to us throughout the month, share it with each other. We go on tangents of understanding and uh, after that, then we share anything else that's bringing inspiration into our lives with the grand scheme and the grand goal of inspiring you guys. So, Lamb, you're at bat. Well, mine are going to be kind of mashed together today because um, I found something late last night um, that that just floored me. It's the, the podcast. So I, I know we should probably be talking about that at the end of the episode, but... Um, I, I just I, I want to just mention how how deep I dived into that. I went eight episodes deep, um, and I started at eleven thirty. So it gives you some idea as to what time I got to sleep last night listening to those. Um, so the quote that I found was basically one that I found while we were while I've been doing this dive on Meryl Streep, which by the way um, is has been fascinating in ways that I never imagined it could be, uh, which is always kind of the case going from episode to episode. Um, when it comes to the, the, the artist features that we do, but this one has been oddly eye-opening, um, in, in a much more humane way than, than some of the others, um, just because of the work that she's done with, with humans. Um, so the one that I found, um, is very much 
something that I need to instill more in my own life, and I've been working hard to 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 try to integrate into my my train of thought. Now, let me just give you the quote, and then we can go from there. Integrate what you believe in every single area of your life. Take your heart to work and ask the most and best of everybody else too. And that is Miss Meryl Streep. And for the record, uh, that is our next artist study. We do one a month if you're new to the show. And our next study is on the wonderful actress and so many other things, Meryl Streep. And the podcast Lamb was referring to is Song Exploder, which I'll go into more later. Um, Lamb, tell me why that hits you so hard. Because I separate who I am from environment to environment. Um, you know, like I'm a different guy at work. I'm a different guy with my family. I'm a different guy with friends. And even more specifically, I'm a different guy with different friends. Um, I'm also a different person in, in my relationship. And until I really read that quote, I didn't really quite understand how exhausting that can be. Um, Crystal even kind of loosely says that from time to time. Like, you know, she says that I change from environment to environment. And I, I realized to a pretty to to a much more tangible degree than I ever really have before that I've worked so hard to create these different versions of myself for these different environments and don't get me wrong I still think like there's there are moments where for, at work for example um I still live by the moniker of never let them see you sweat um so I still I still am the guy who needs to lead that group so I can't show the same level of vulnerability that I would in other environments um but that doesn't mean that I can't take my belief system, my my inherent belief in humanity and creativity and everything else, and 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 incorporate them more strongly into these environments. And I have a feeling that if I did, um, a lot more people would know me better. Uh, a lot more people would would really understand where my brain is and where my heart is. Um, and if I can show them who I am, if I can if I can have the courage to be as vulnerable as I feel like I can be in order to 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 reveal who I am, then I feel like in that moment and 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 with that that heart in hand. Um, I can ask that of everyone else around me, and we can we can all be better and smarter and and more empathetic to each other. And how do you think that, that will play into your creative pursuits? In my creative pursuits, I feel like I, I still I still have a very young mind when it comes to my creative process, and I think that that's that's a mistake. Um, it's something that I've been trying to kind of grow out of, uh, which is I still try to impress myself. Um, and I don't think I should anymore. Um, you know, I think I've got the chops now, uh, whether it's, it's, it's musically or, 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 or with my writing, I feel like it's, it's time to stop being clever and start being honest. Um, because I've started to incorporate that into other, other areas of my life, you know, telling people how I really feel about them. Um, not, not in a harsh way. I'm not just going around like, you know, uh, ripping into people or anything stupid like that. But I tell people what, what I really feel about them you know, what, what they mean to me and how they've meant that over the years. Um, and it's helped me to reconnect with some friends in, in ways that I, I, I wasn't able to for a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, you know, with, with that, I taking it into my creativity, I feel like if I believe that truth is the answer in my life, then it stands to reason that truth should be the answer in my art. And in order for me to do my best. And I know we, we've we said this for the last couple of episodes, which is odd that it's hitting me. It, it hit me after we've done those, um, is that I I inherently believe that the truth is beautiful. I, I believe that the truth creates wonder and magic that, that fiction can't equal in a way. 
So for me, I, I'm now approaching my, my work. Like, I, for example, I, I wrote a poem for the first time in probably two years last night. And I did it with the, just that raw sense of truth. And it was probably one of the best things I've written in a while. Um, but it sounds nothing like me. It sounds nothing like the creative or literary voice that I've had for almost two decades. Um, but shockingly, it's it's my favorite piece. It's probably the, my favorite piece that, that I've ever written. It's only And it's one of the shorter ones I've written, too. Um, it's only um, maybe a three quarters of a page um, and probably no more than four or five hundred words. But it's probably some of the, the most true, the most true writing I've ever done. And I think that that doing that has 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 made me realize that it's okay you know that it's okay to to not try to impress myself to not try to create a structure for myself to create something like for example i i i, I always wrote poems that were on the longer side i i you know three four five twenty fifty pages um and i was never really one for the the one page poem or anything like that but i just i wrote what i i felt in the moment i was true to the words that i was using like i didn't this thesaurus hunt or do anything like that or look for any literary devices that I could use. I just literally wrote what I felt. And with the skill that I've acquired over the last 25 years of my writing life, I found that the skill just kind of took over and gave me the tools and, and the resources that I need to create something that, at least in my mind and at least in the moment, was perfect to what I felt and what I believed. I think there's a, well, there's a lot in there, actually, we can break out on. Um, the one thing that really struck me that I wanted to touch on a little bit more is this idea of um, trying to impress yourself. And I know that it's something that every single person out there that's tried to do something creative has done. I I definitely was guilty of that for a very long, long time. Um, and I'm, I guarantee you, I'm still guilty of it. Uh, because when I go through my drafts, and, and that's what I find in rough drafts, a lot of me trying to impress myself, trying to be clever, and those are the things that end up being cut. And I think that's what we're, what uh, Stephen King refers to all the time when he talks about kill your darlings. Because your darlings are the th uh, little pieces that you've put in that you find precious. And the reason you find them precious is because uh, you, they're clever. And uh, it's not to say that you can't write clever and that you can't do clever things within your art. But there's a certain humility that is required to create good art. When you like, for example, if you were to go and speaking of poetry, look at most of the great poets, the poets that we respect, the poets that uh, are consistently read over and over again. And you listen to the tone of those poems. There's a humility to it. There's a grounding, um, almost a, a, an intangibility to the voice in some way, in the sense that it's not so much about uh what is what is being said or the way that it's being said even though with poetry it is 100% what's being said and what is and how it is being said that's that's the underlying thing but you don't feel it you what you feel is uh the poem itself there's a rhythm there's a a movement and that's really what you feel everything else is just kind of hidden it's 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 to me i i i I liken it to, um, I believe that it was Roger Ebert that said when there's a good director or maybe it was cinematographer of a film and you watch that film, you won't ever see their work. They're mm -hmm. completely invisible because when you're good, 
what you do isn't obvious. And I think that's probably the most, the easiest way to say what I'm trying to say is when, when somebody's moving the camera and slipping it all over and doing upside downs and all this crazy stuff, it's not always good. But they're trying to impress themselves. They're trying to prove something. But then you watch like a, I don't know, like a Spielberg movie or a Martin Scorsese film, or you watch anything by like one of the great masters like Kubrick or something like that. And if you don't specifically pay attention to what is happening with the camera and what the framing is and all of these things, if you if you aren't in film school and you're not looking at those things, you get lost in the story. And that's sure. really the point of a movie. Just like the really the point of the poem is to get lost in the poem. Not for somebody to stop at a line and go, that was clever. And you'll see that a lot in dialogue. That's where people make a mistake in dialogue. They try to be clever, but they end up writing very stilted scenes. Yeah, I feel like one of the the artists we just recently profiled um, gives us a, a good sense of that too. I was uh, I was listening. The first episode I dove in on on Song Exploder was the uh, the Bjork episode of, uh, where she was talking about the song she wrote for Volnacura. Um, can't think of the name the, the name of the song off the top of my head right now. Um, but the amount of, of work and detail that goes into how that song is created and, and, and the feelings that she's trying to achieve, um, are very obvious once you hear her describe them. But when you're listening to the song itself, you don't, you don't sense any of that cleverness. Um, you don't sense any of the, the, the tools that she used, um, or you don't have an obvious sense of the, the tools that she used in order to create the feeling and, and, and you get that feeling while you're listening to that song and to hear her describe them and to hear how, how purposefully invisible she wants to stay as a voice, um, and how the music itself is actually created, um, is, is, is very amazing. Like the environment itself, she wants to stay completely out of, you know, her voice, obviously, as the narrator of that particular, um, story for her is, is pretty clear, but the, the music itself and how much intelligence went into the crafting of that music in order to create an environment, um, is almost it's it, it the subtle doesn't even describe it there because there's it's it's not really that subtle but the 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 process of making it is very subtle and the song is a uh, stone milker oh that's right yeah that's right the music is another great example of where cleverness is your enemy in the sense that don't get me wrong there are a lot of clever lyrics out there especially in hip hop um there's a lot of really clever lyrics out there but if you were to do that with everything and sacrifice the integrity of a song for a cleverness, for uh, trying to impress yourself, even uh, a lot of people do it to impress others too, mostly to impress others. You're gonna see, you're gonna feel that the, the song is not gonna feel that cohesiveness. And I'm starting to lose my voice. Let me take a little sip of beverage right now. <laughs> Maybe in a way it touches on the tag of this show, the idea that creativity is inherently generous because when you're truly being creative, you're truly being generous. You're truly trying to share something. It's not about you. And once you can allow your ego to drop out of something, it becomes better. And I learned that when I reading a lot of novels, a lot of the really respected novelists, when you really start to get into their work, it's, the sh the stories when you know if you were to explain the plot of a, of a novel um like uh Gilead by Marianne Marianne Robinson Marilyn Robinson that's awful that I can't think of her first name <laughs> I have to look it up now because I've, I'm ashamed it's 
just it's a beautiful novel. It's probably a work of genius in the sense so fleshed out and so human. But when you actually the idea of the book, and this is actually funny for for me to say, and it's Marilyn Robinson. It's about a an aging preacher. And it's just kind of about his life at that age, dealing with, uh, it's hard to actually explain because it's such a subtle book, but it is one of the most beautiful books that I've ever, ever read. And it's just full of humility. Um, it's, it's a woman who's writing about a preacher. And of course, because he's a preacher, religion comes into it. But at no point does the book feel like it's some sort of I don't I don't know the words. I'm sorry, because I'm sleepy, the words aren't coming to me as quickly as they normally do, guys. It's 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 not a book that's trying to make somebody into a Christian. Maybe that's a good way to say it. Um mm-hmm. there's nothing preachy about a book about a preacher. He just happens to be a preacher. Yeah, and it's 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 about his life. That's the point of the book is is about the man. Um and it's not a is it's not about the religion. And the religion is it's it's like uh if you walk into if a character walks into a room and sits on a soft couch, you have to describe the couch. Otherwise you don't know what's going on. So if you're gonna write a book about an aging preacher, you have to talk about religion because it's part of the scene. But it's not the purpose of the book. And there's there's a humility in, in the way that the whole thing is presented. And I mean, in a way, the book itself is about humility and about love and uh, about acceptance. Those are not big, flashy things. You know, she wasn't writing this book and going, I am going to win uh, the National Book Critics Circle Award or the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. But guess what? She won both of those. So uh, I'm tangenting off, but I hope that what I'm saying is making sense. And it's, it's I hope that it's um, still pertinent in, and adding something to your point. Well, absolutely, because my, my example runs along very similar lines, um, even though it's a completely different medium. Um, you know, when I think of, of, of that, that, that idea, you know, the, the, what you're talking about, about not as an artist, not trying to impress yourself and just writing something that's that's true and honest and clear and, and beautiful, um, the, the the piece that always comes to mind, and and I'm sure this is going to be a show notes um, edition. Um, it's the song by Colin Hay. Uh, I just don't think I'll ever get over you. Oh. Um, that is one of the most honest, devastating, simple, magical song. I mean, I'm I'm getting a little choked up even talking about the song. Like I I. I love that song so much, um, in particular because it strikes a very, a, a very clear chord with me. Um, because I had a, I had a, my one of my good friends um, that I grew up with. Um, she died rather tragically, and and I and I watched her die. Um, and so that song describes how our relationship was, and even if your relationship wasn't. Uh, it, you know, even if you've lost someone and you, your relationship wasn't like the one that, that he describes in the song, there's such a palpable sense of true loss um, and just a care and a love and an empathy that is so clear through the song that it's almost hard for me to listen to. Um, I remember one of the first times you, I, you're the one that actually introduced me to that song. 
And I remember one of the first times I heard it, I, I couldn't help but feel the, the sharp pangs of, of, of sadness that, that, that came from, that came from my moment of loss that was similar. Um, and I, it, you know, if, if, if art is supposed to do anything, it's supposed to, to invoke or inspire or, or, you know, um, supposed to strike some kind of chord with you in, in such a way that, that, that you feel the emotion of the artist in the moment. And if, if that song is any indicator, um, it, it shows the true power of what art can be at its most honest and its most sincere. And I feel like, I feel like if I could, if I could bottle that for myself, if I could have the bravery that it took for Colin Hay to write that song, I, I can't imagine writing that song. Um, and I can't imagine how, how intense and brutal it was of a process to look at your life with this person, um, that you that you lived every day with and that you loved beyond love and 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 try to find some way to describe what your tangible feeling of loss was and to create a magical and amazing piece of artwork out of it that that just floors me this is the one time where copyright law just bothers me because i really wish we could play that song for them right now if you're listening to this and you haven't heard the song i just don't think i'll ever get over you by colin hay pause this podcast Go to whatever streaming music or go to YouTube, go to whatever, look it up, listen to the song. It's, uh, I, I even think after all the praise that Lamb's just given it, it's still underplaying the song itself. Colin Hay, uh, it's what's, what's funny is Colin Hay was the, I believe he was the lead singer of Men at Work. Yep, he was. Um, which if you are young, you probably are not aware of what that means. But in the 80s, it was an, they were an Australian pop group. And uh, they did a song called Land Down Under. Come from a land down under. Yeah. Uh, and for him to go from that to this song, and granted, it's many decades in between and a marriage and the death of his wife that uh, took him into this. But it's such a beautiful song. But it is a perfect example of what we're talking about here because... When you look at the lyrics, there is nothing. There's nothing about it that's that's showy or flashy. The lyrics aren't necessarily brilliant; they're very simple. But there's also a. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Let's say that it's not trying to make him look amazing. Um, a lot of times when you, this is kind of messed up to say, but it's true. A lot of times when you look at songs about grief. It goes. It is the opposite of art being generous because it's about I'm so sad. Me, 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 me. And though this song continually says me or I, uh, it never feels like it's about him. It's almost like the experience of something washing over him and him describing it. It's just the first stanza, which I'm going to read, and hopefully that doesn't violate any laws. I drink good coffee every morning. It comes from a place that's far away. And when I'm done, I feel like talking. Without you here, there's less to say. Ugh. It's, I mean, to start a song, I mean, when you really think about it, like if I just wrote, I drink good coffee every morning and it comes from a place that's far away, I'm not that impressed with, with my writing. But to be able to turn it around the way he does, it makes those first two lines amazing. But it's because of what you're talking about exactly. It's that humility of, He's just talking about something very simple. I'm drinking coffee, and this coffee it comes from somewhere that's not here. 
And when I'm drinking coffee, I want to talk. But you're not here. And that whole metaphor is it's beautiful. Ugh. But it's so basic, right? There's well, no I mean, I, even in the second I'm I'm going to I'm going to keep we're going to read basically the whole damn song out. Um <laughs> This is the episode where we re-quote, so it's okay. Yeah, so it makes sense. I mean, the second line is 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 one that it it, it goes along to, to you know with your example too about acceptance and I think that this the one the one subtle amazing thing about this this particular song is that it's it's two completely different feelings at the same time. You know, it's obviously the the palpable sense of intangible loss. Um, you know, imagine losing the love of your life and imagine battling with the love of your life for their life and losing that battle. Um, and then having to to pick yourself off the ground and, and continue going. You know, the second line is, I don't want you to think that I'm unhappy. What is closer to the truth is that I it that if I lived till I was a hundred and two I just don't think I'd I'd ever get over you, and I I there's I I can't describe how magical that line is to me, you know, because it it you're he's speaking to a ghost, you know, he's telling that ghost, don't worry about me, I'm I'll be fine, and and I'll find a way to move on, but there's nothing that I will ever experience in my life that is as magical as us. There's a grace to his voice in this song, and what I mean by that is. It's just a, it's I mean when you really dig into it the way we are it's a sad song but you don't feel a dark oppressiveness when you're listening to the song there's a, a lightness to it and a that's why like I said it's not about him uh it's it's about the, this experience washing over him and it's it's about the experience of survival and it's it's sad, but at the same time, there's a hope in the sound of the song, and in in the in the words too, I believe. But it's it's almost like, yes, it's sad, but there's a celebration in it too, and, and I, I think that goes along with what you're saying about these um, two overlapping emotions. And I'm I'm going to quote another part of it just because, as I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at it here, and it's just it, we'd be remiss not to quote this part because it's probably the best part of the song. Your face, it dances, and it haunts me. Your laughter is still ringing in my ears. I still find pieces of your presence here, even after all these years. And in the context of the song, when he says, I still find pieces of your presence here, there's a weird break in his voice when he says here. And uh, some of it is his accent. Some of it is almost like he's lost control of the song for a second. And it's it's a very powerful moment. Anyways... If you guys haven't gone and listened to the song while we're talking about it, you're really missing out because I want to listen to it right now. I hear it almost feels like he, throughout the entire song, he's just teetering on the edge of tears. But at the same time, it's not, uh, there's not a darkness to it. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. You know what it, feel, it, it feels like, it, it feels like, like he's having dinner with the ghost and he's just describing what it's like to not have her there and i mean it's it's haunting for me on on many levels you know even if i i didn't have that that palpable sense of loss that comes comes along with having a similar experience i still i i think i would still feel it um you know especially the line that you just read you know there's 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 a there's a part of it that really hits home hard for me on that one you know even in reading the lyrics like i i can't help but be flooded by the memories i 
I have of the, the, the friend lost, you know, the, the, the laughter that, that, you know, we used to laugh and, 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 you know, throw rocks in the Creek together, uh, at this little Creek outside of, uh, of where I used to live. And, and, you know, there's, there's the power of art to create such tangible recall, um, is amazing when, when, and it takes a particular kind of artist. It takes a guy who's, who's willing to be as honest as Colin Hay, um, in this song. And I think that's, that's what we're kind of talking about in a sense too, is that, you know, he's, he's just teetering on the edge of losing himself. You know, he's just teetering on the edge of, 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 of letting the emotions go. Um, but being strong enough to hold it together, not even necessarily for himself, but to, to honor the memory of his, his, his lost wife. It's incredible. There's a, well, if I want to use the word control, because it doesn't feel like control so much as a digestion to me. Um, it's like listening to the song of a man who's already lived with this for a while. Yeah. And the emotions come back, of course. But he's lived with it. Now, you take that on the other end of it. This is a song about the loss of someone um, that doesn't feel dark. And then on the other spectrum of that, you go back to um, Skeleton Tree with Nick Cave in our Nick Cave episode. It's a the songs are not about the death of his son, but every note and every feeling in his voice is drenched with that sorrow, even mm-hmm. though the lyrics are not about that. What a great album that is! And I think that the, that that's what makes both of these pieces of art so powerful as well is that there is that contradiction. I'm not singing about my son, but uh, my heart is, and it's sad. Um, and then in this one is I'm singing about that, but I'm not feeling sad right now. That, that and I think that that's the humility. Um, I actually like that idea you said of having dinner with a ghost because in a way, that is what our job is as as an as an artist is to um, invite the ghost in, and and that requires a humility because uh, you've invited in a guest and you must be a good host. And uh, when you're busy trying to be clever and you're busy trying to impress yourself, you're not being a good host. It's like inviting somebody over to your house, turning on the TV and watching what you want to watch and not taking into consideration um, what that person's feeling. And and now that I've had a chance to listen to uh, Bjork on uh, Song Exploder, that also gives me a very, very clear sense of truth about Volnakura, too. I know it was a heartbreak album, but now that I understand the construction of it, it makes so much more sense. And I can, I can feel the, the intensity of it, even in the, in, in the moments in which it isn't intense. It's intense in the way that one would expect Bjork to be. Um, I mean, I don't know Bjork at all, so I, I don't know if there's actually any truth to that, but you know, there's, there's a sense that she, she feels things, she feels things completely and she doesn't hold back on those feelings. And, and that's very clear and, 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 and very just obvious in every note. Uh, that comes out of that album that's something that is common among all of the great artists is that letting go i I think that's when you go from being a you know you said you had a young mind i think that that is when you move past that young mind is when you realize that the art is not about you that it exists outside of you uh, there's a great story of Tom Waits. He's talking about how he would always get ideas all the time, and he would get so many ideas that he had to start telling the ideas to go away. 
And there's a story of him, like he says, he's like, sometimes, you know, I'll get an idea where, where I'm in the car. And it's he's like, I have to just tell the, you know, whatever word he uses, but I'll say the ghost. I have to tell the ghost, go away. I'm driving right now. If it's important, come back later. Mm. And there's a humility to that idea of like, I, I think that we get caught in this, uh, this idea, this ideology of, or, we're, oh, we're trying to catch lightning. We're trying to catch lightning. And if we miss it, then but we're not trying to catch lightning. You know, we're just trying to put together something from from pieces of of our life. And all of those things, they exist outside of us and they don't run out. There's no end to inspiration. You know, part of it, I feel is I'm sorry, dude. Um, I, I feel like a, a strong part of this that we don't really vocalize in a clear way is that I think all of these artists, Colin Hay, you know, Bjork, I mean, any of the other billions that we've talked about, Murakami, Gaiman, all of them. I think the one thing that, that really strikes me about all of them, especially the ones that have the guts to write about themselves or their own lives, is that they've somehow eliminated that sense of shame that we all have about our, our past or our regrets or our emotions. Because we're so taught, um, you know, from a very early age that we're supposed to be shameful of those things, that we're supposed to, to be afraid of those things, and that we're supposed to just look past them and, and fight forward uh, with them not in our, 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 our consciousness. But I don't think that that's true at all. I think to be human is to, to, to have that memory. You know, what creates culture and language and, and our ability to empathize with each other, uh, you know, be, in essence, our consciousness um, as, as a species and as a civilization is our ability to remember, you know, our ability to look backwards and, 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 and take stock of, of where we've been and what we've done and how that's, how that's affected us. And I think that, you know, the greats, um, you know, if we're looking at Colin Hay or Bjork in particular for our example, um, they don't shy away from that at all. And I think that, that one of the things that, that will make you a better artist, and I'm working on this now that I've realized it, I'm working on this for myself as well, is that you got to take the shame out of your game. <laughs> you know, you, you got to take the shame out of, of, out of your life and you've got to take the shame out of your creative process because you, you, the best version of you should be the version that's coming up, not the version that's past. And the, the, the easiest way to achieve that is to be able to look back at those versions of yourself and to be absolutely honest with where you've been and how you've gotten to where you are. That idea of living in that shame or feeling that shame and all of those, um, all of those emotions, that's all a problem of ego. It's all a problem of, you know, of course this is terrible. Of course I should be ashamed of this. Of course, this is embarrassing. Of course, this means something because I'm so important. But the truth is, uh, most of your shames, most of your mistakes, most of all of those things, they're common. Most of us live common lives. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't step outside of them and do great things. But what I mean by common is is it's something that we all share. There's, there's nothing that... Uh, makes us incredible until we decide to be incredible. It's not our circumstances. It's, it's not the words that we put on the paper that make us look impressive, that make us important. It's it's how we interact with the humans around us that makes us important. Um, because we we thrive as humans in context. So you have to take the spotlight off yourself and stop thinking you're so important and stop living in that uh 
that story that you've created, that narrative, we were talking about this a little bit at the party on Saturday. And we all create this narrative of of self-importance that, oh, this person's doing this to me. This person's saying this, so this must mean this about me. Me, 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 me. You know what? If you write a story about me, 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 it's really, really boring. Really boring. The only person who wants to read that is you. Well, unless you're unless you're writing it as a cautionary tale or a parable, because uh, we just literally did a a feature on an, an, an artist that wrote about herself. And in, in, but the, that's that's not actually correct, though. I mean, if you if you take wild for what it is, it's not a story about Cheryl Strayed necessarily as much as it's about. Um, it's it's a cautionary tale, and she's she's sharing her path um, so that others can get a clear glimpse of what it's like to transcend. Well, yeah, I mean, you're always going. No matter what you do, you're always in some way going to be writing about yourself because your experience of life is filtered through yourself. But what I mean is, uh, you're not writing it for yourself. Sure. And that has a lot to do with the tone, the word usage, the 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 purpose. You know, like Cheryl Strayed, there's no point in there where I felt she's being egotistical. Um, that she's dwelling upon herself. It's almost, like you said, it's a cautionary tale in the sense that it's, this is me, this is what I did. But she's not swimming in it. Um, and what I mean is that that's the problem. Uh, with, like, with, remember you said you had that hesitance to read her because it was a memoir. The reason that we don't want to read memoirs is because memoirs do exactly, a lot of memoirs do exactly what I'm talking about. They swim in the me. You know? It's, it's, oh, this is so awful. I'm such an awful person. Ugh. <laughs> and it's, it's like they're trying to impress you with how awful they've been. You know, it's like, I did coke in, in the bathroom of a church. And then, I, you know, like, who cares? It's not about what you did. It's about the point of your story. It's about the, um, what are you going to bring to my table? Because it, that is your job as an artist is to bring things to people's table. And if all you're bringing is this uh, egotism, that you've contributed nothing, nothing to the world. There's plenty of plenty of people swimming in themselves. And uh, I just without meaning to just combine the title of two of our episodes. <laughs> swimming <laughs> in chaos. And, and what was it? Something about the oh, in the mood of me. Mood of me. Yeah. Swimming in the mood of me. <laughs> It was bound to happen because I think that ultimately this show is all about one thing and uh, it hides under the guise of creativity, but it's really about being a human and being a better human. Yeah. And that's pretty clear. I mean, you know, we, we all, you and I talk a lot about, uh, about artists being humane, you know, when we describe Neil Gaiman or Murakami or, 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 you know, Ian McKellen or, or, the the amazingness that is Cheryl Streep that we're going to cover next. I mean, there's there's Cheryl Streep. I'm I'm sorry, Cheryl Streep, Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> wow, that we're just combining stuff all over the place. Don't lose your thought. I want to say one thing real quick to the listeners. Go ahead. Write the name Meryl Streep, and then underneath it, write the name Cheryl Strayed. And if you don't see a strange commonality between the letters in those two names, then you won't understand why Lamb just made that slip. Oh man, I I think um this is what happens when we get a combined 9 hours of sleep for a podcast. Um 
But I honestly, though, I th- I think that <laughs> these are some of our best because the the safeguards are turned off. I think even we do that, you know. Even if, for the sake of the podcast, we 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 try to be clever, even if it's just purely subconscious. We try to be clever. We try to sound smart sometimes. Um, but I think in in these moments when when we're at our most raw, especially the last couple of episodes where we kind of just abandon a lot of that, you know, there's there's a much more much clearer sense of of, of honesty and hu- humanity. And I think that you you said it you said it right. You know, the underlying theme through everything that we've discussed with our artists and even in our inspiration and our our our, our tips and 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 our, our tips episode, um, which I'm still messing up the name on, um, is that there's there's just a we want to give now. And I think that that's where these artists are. You know, if you, you think of Colin Hay or Bjork or any of them, the reason why they expose their pain to the world um, and the reason why they, they shine such a clear and obvious light on, on it is because they want to, to share it. They want, they want to show you that they're, they're empathetic to what you're experiencing. They don't want to be just these, these magical creatures that float around in the world. I mean, if you look at Colin Hay, for example, um, that the, 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 the most telling thing about that song is that there's just no ego in it at all. Um, it's, 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 it's a handshake with a ghost. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to describe that song accurately to someone because there's so much in it without much being in it at all. Um, and the, the, the truth of the song, the, 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 the emotional weight of the song is what makes it so amazing, just just heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking song, um, and if you if you if you don't get that sense of it coming out of it, I don't know. I don't know what you've experienced in your life that that makes it so that you can't understand it. But but that's that to me is what that to me is what 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 the goal of all of this is. You know, whether you're a person in business or whether you're an artist or whether you're just a person who's there for your family, a, a brother, a wife, a cousin, or whatever it may be, you know, especially with, with what I've experienced lately. Um, it's about being there for them. It's about being there for yourself. It's about being honest about how you feel. And it's about, it's about celebrating what you have without forgetting what you've lost. And having the, the strength to move on with both of those lessons in the most positive way that you can. When you use the word heartbreaking too i mean the song a, a song a book a poem they can't be heartbreaking if they're steeped in the darkness um like look at goth music you know people don't listen to goth music and and cry but because it, to some degree goth music is uh it's melodramatic it's steeped in that stuff uh for an artistic purpose to to achieve a certain sound but it's it's not meant to connect on that level whereas a, a song like this it connects on uh, on a level it breaks your heart because it's able to touch your heart and that's an important distinction you know if you want to change people first you must touch people you know you have to reach them and that's where this whole we've talked about this before this idea of editing why when you go into editing um you have to bring that humility of of change. You have to understand that you know what you've written is not gospel that it could use a little tweaking. It needs to be able to hit people in a way that they're going to understand and uh when you can let go of that sensitivity, you make better art because it's stepping outside of the ego and um when you when you're lost in your ego, you're of very little use. 
because the only person you're concerned about is you. And that's people who end up with um, anxiety. I know that a lot of the reason I ended up with the anxiety that I did is because I was living inside of myself too much. Sure. Almost completely, I would say. I didn't think so. You know, I, I, I completed actions. <laughs> I did things that could be appropriately interpreted as generosity. Or, um, you know, I called this person on the phone, therefore I'm concerned with them. But was I really? No. What I was concerned with was my story. And that's 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 a hard lesson to learn, but it's the lesson that you learn as you grow grow older. You have to learn to get outside of that uh that mindset. Um actually, oddly enough, my quote for today was a short one, so I actually found a second one. But uh I still have the screen open from when I was searching, and there's one in front of me that kind of fits here. So I'm just gonna throw this in. This is from uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. If, and this is the greatest of them all, I had the courage to see myself as I really am, I would find out what is wrong with me and correct it. Then I might have a chance to profit by my mistake and learn something from the experience of others. For I know that there is something wrong with me, or I would now be where I would have been if I had spent more time analyzing my weakness and less time building alibis to cover them. Mm. And I love that because it's it's like the idea of doing exactly what I talk about when you're editing a book and doing that for yourself. And uh, you have to step outside of yourself to do that. What was your what was your actual quote? What were you what were you bringing today? My actual quote, the first the first one, which was very short, is from the Tim Burton film Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That I just watched the other night. And the quote is. To give a little context, actually, the main character is telling someone that he needs to keep them safe. He swore that he was going to keep somebody safe. And the quote back to him is that, we don't need you to make us feel safe, Jake, because you made us feel brave. And that's even better. Mm. It's just, it hit me as, I mean, it's so, so, such a small little thing, but it hit me as very powerful in the sense that, uh, I think about it in the context of, of politics, particularly right now, regardless of your political leaning, one of the things that we talk about a considerable amount is, is feeling safe, um, especially when horrible things happen, like what happened in London. It's it's terrible, and we worry about this idea of safety. But when you go back to what Benjamin Franklin said, was it Benjamin Franklin? I should probably not use the quote since I can't remember who said it. <laughs> but this idea of sacrificing for safety. And I've always, I've, I've thought about that a lot, this idea of safety, 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 and safety seems like this trap, right? Because first of all, safety is an illusion. We're, we're never going to feel that we're completely safe. When you get, when you get a certain amount of safety, you feel like you need more. You know, like the person who, uh, you put a good lock on your door and then, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should get an alarm. Then you get an alarm and then maybe I should put bars on the windows. Well, maybe I should move to a neighborhood where crime is where crime is less, where there's less crime. I mean, you know, it's not the neighborhood; it's the state. The laws in this state are just wrong. You know what? It's it's actually the government. It's it's my country. The it just keeps expanding and expanding. And it, in a way, it kind of I guess it kind of goes with what we're talking about here. As when you when you're diving into something, you're just going to be consumed by it because you're creating this narrative. Sure. 
so I've never known what the balance there was in the sense that there's always seems like there's always something to balance something. And I never would have paired uh, safety with bravery. Um, It's like, you don't need safety. What you need is bravery. And I I wanted to use it today, not because of the political context, but because of what that means creatively. Um, We want to make something safe. No, what you need is bravery. You need the bravery to do what we've said here so far, write about the things that are very personal to you. Maybe not so that people know it's specifically about you. You can put them in characters. But then also the bravery to step outside of yourself, because that's where the true vulnerability comes from. It's not from putting yourself, uh, things that happen to you out there. The bravery comes from being able to step outside of it and to see it as what it is. And uh, that's where you're really vulnerable because you're outside of yourself. You are out with no shell. And uh, the second quote that I brought to go along with that, because I felt like it needed a little more context, is from Choose Yourself by James Altucher. And uh, since the beginning of humanity, we've looked for frontiers. It is only a myth that we have evolved to a point as a civilization where we can count on safety. The only true safe thing you can do is to try over and over again, to go for it, to get rejected, to repeat, to strive to wish without rejection there is no frontier there is no passion there is no magic wow well if there's any common thread that that comes out of both of your quotes i think the the clearest thing is that uh, and and it fits so so well it's almost like we planned it um (laughs) with, with what we've been talking about leading up to this and by the way we absolutely never plan it um even even in the party that Chad and I both went to on Saturday, we, we talked about this episode and we're both very clear about having no idea what we were going to talk about. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the, 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 the thread that, the, the, or at least the, the phrase that comes, pops to mind when, when your quotes are spoken in the, in the context that they are with each other, it seems to me that it's really clear that for humans as artists and just as people in general, it's so much better it's so much more productive to feel strong rather than safe. Right. And to feel open to possibilities, right? That's part of bravery too. Sure. Is I, safety, safety in its essence is um, knowing something, right? Safety is predictability. That's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's knowing, it's feeling secure in a knowledge, right? that you're safe that this is safe that what you're doing is safe um, because there's no risk and ladies and gentlemen without risk there is no art at all and if you're going to take any message away from this episode it's to step outside of yourself and put things on the table put it out there and don't concern yourself so much with how you look. You know, there's there's also a tendency for people to do what I'm saying, and then they get um, obsessed with the idea of being so open and to show everything. And there's a line. There are certain things people definitely don't want to know. <laughs> Not because of, of what you're sharing, but because of how you're sharing it. 
and uh, it's important to keep that in mind as well. I I feel very strongly that that the older I get, the more I realize how crippling safety can be. Um, the more more crippling I feel that that. And you know, because when we when we look at safety for what it is, I mean, you know, you know, you you touched on it, which is you know, safety is is predictability, and and I think that that predictability, that that ability to understand our world um, in such a clear manner that nothing ever changes, is what cripples people. You know, it, it's what what creates the the current political climate, what 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 locks us in our homes and makes us fearful and 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 uncreative. Um, because it's hard to create when you're not brave. It's hard to create when you're when you're not strong or when you're not striving for, for some level of of of. of I mean, it's just about risk, and it's about understanding and mitigating the the feelings that you have about risk. You know, it's there's an old T. S. Eliot quote. I, I gotta find it. Um, I think it's, um, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. Um. And I remember I, I I read that when I was in my late teens, and it was a quote that I've held on to for most of my life um, because it illustrates that so well. I mean, it is you know, we, let let someone tell you you can't do something. You know, let some some person who who lives in a tight little box, um, either in their personal lives or in their creative lives or in their work lives, um, tell you that that something can't be done, um, and then go out and prove them wrong. Prove yourself wrong. Prove everybody wrong. You know, but you know, examples of that in my own life. You know, with with golf, for example, I I was told that there was no way I could get to a single digit handicap in five years. So I said, "Really? Watch me." You know, um, as a writer, it was the same thing in my early age. I was born in the east side of San Jose. Well, not born in the east side, but I was raised in the east side of San Jose, where you know there were gangs and underprivileged um, neighborhoods, and and not the best of schools. And people were telling me that there was there was a ceiling. Um, as to how far I could go or what I could learn or what I was expected to be. And one of the things I learned very early on was that I hated that notion. Um, I hated that notion that I was built into a little box before I even had a chance to try. And I think that one of the lessons, though, that we're very clear about in almost every episode and with every artist feature and with every inspiration episode we do is that those, all of those things, you know, all of those, those limits that are imposed by society or by your family or by yourself are things that that are so irrelevant to how how expansive your life can be if you're open-minded enough and more importantly open-hearted enough to be able to 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 risk beyond what you think and and to be honest with you too after after you do it for long enough it's not even risk anymore it's just what you do it's just who you are you see you see a challenge in front of you and and whether or not you can even do it doesn't even enter the equation it, it's it's not about whether you can pull it off or not it's about just doing it and and I think that that's one of the things that that we we very much talk about on this quote all the time with all of the the the, the twists and angles and formats that we go, which is bravery is bravery is is life, bravery is creativity, bravery is progress, and safety is the opposite. The biggest myth that we sell ourselves is that failure matters, because we we think of course it matters. It goes back to that ego driven thing. Or it's, I tried this and I failed. Now we have to make a big deal out of that failure. But in reality, what it takes is that humility and that that groundedness to go, 
Oop, that didn't work. Let me try this. Oop, that didn't work. Let me try this. Oop, that didn't work. That let me try this. And that's the real that's the creative mind because the creative mind is not concerned with the consequences of what it's doing. It's concerned with what it's doing. And sure. when we get over uh, over obsessed with failure, what we're doing is we're we're swimming ourselves into this this pool of ego. And we don't realize it because we think, of course, it's about the circumstances, but it really is. We're just spinning facts off into fictions. And uh, that's a great skill to have if you're a writer, but not in that way. And so it's important when you're when you're considering this risk and this bravery and this creativity, it's important to see all of the facets and all of the manifestations of your ego. And uh, trust me, that's a lifetime goal of deconstructing <laughs> your ego uh, continually. Even in these conversations, I love these conversations with Lamb. And at the same time, it's 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 very easy to get caught up in what I think and what I feel, and and to sometimes uh, be spinning a thought off in my head while Lamb's talking and miss what Lamb is saying. And uh, if if I do that, then this this gets worse. You guys can feel that. You know, if I were to come back and not have a response to something he said, then it's obvious I was not listening to him, and that would make it worse. And that's a, a very basic example of how ego destroys creation. It makes something worse. It cripples it. It, it shackles it. So don't shackle yourselves. Break the chains. That's what I'm going to name this episode. Huh. And it's it's it, it goes back to my my Meryl Streep quote as as well as something that we've talked about um, in person, um, which is most human interaction is just about people waiting for their turn to talk, and and that is that is just I don't know it's it's just, it's just a a tough way to live. At some point in your life, you realize that you don't really know anybody that you think you know. And no one really knows you because all you've been doing your entire life is talking at each other. Yeah, I think I've said it on here before, this idea of start to live life as if it's it's something you get to do as opposed to something that's happening to you. And what I mean by that is we, we tend to think of life as a, um, a series of, of obstacles that are being hurled at us that we must overcome and then we we find pride in ourselves because we're able to overcome that but uh, no that's the wrong narrative because that's about you um, sure life life is about things that you have the privilege to be able to do and when you start it goes back to our continual theme of gratitude when you start to see those things it, it makes you a more creative person because you're living in that that same place it's they they seem like different places, but they're the same place uh that gratitude and generosity and and creativity they're all the same place, and that humility they all live in that same place, so you have to learn to put yourself into that place and that takes training and that's I think that's why you know people um, like me practice things like meditation and so forth it's you're training yourself to be where you want to be as opposed to you know, like people get, they run away with their emotions. Imagine if you had the choice to, and you do, by the way, 
the choice to feel or not feel something. And I don't mean in a robot way, but, you know, if you're angry, to be able to stop yourself and say, I don't want to be angry right now. What I want to be is grateful. And to be able to turn that and and have it be something true and pure. And that's really, it. it's a matter of just the reason you can flip that switch is because it's just a switch of perspective from yourself to everything else, to others, to outside of yourself, to from block, which block, by the way, creative block, that's a story. It's what you're telling about yourself. You've created a narrative about yourself to excuse certain things or to give yourself uh, the ability to not do something. You've got to step outside of those things. You're crippling yourself. You, yeah. Everybody has reasons. But uh, uh, this is something great. I, I went to a, uh, I won't go into a lot of details, but I went to a seminar for something that uh, my sister is um, involved in. Uh, which makes it sound really complex, but it's like a self-help type thing. And she's really important to her, so she wanted me to go and experience it. So I went just to check it out, and I get to spend the weekend with my sister, which was fantastic. And one of the things that they brought up at this thing that I really appreciated was the use of the word but. When we talk about, I want to do this, I want to write a book, but I don't have time. That but is your problem. It's, it's not that you don't have time. You not having time is not your problem. It's the but. Uh, now, take that sentence and replace it with the word and. Mm-hmm. I, I want to write a novel, and I don't have time. It changes the context of everything, because now the not having time it becomes something that you can work with. Whereas the but, I mean, all the but does is achieve to uh, is seek to cancel out the first part of the sentence entirely. I want to write a novel, but you don't really need the second half of the sentence because that but means I'm not going to write the novel. Sure. So stop staring at your butt, people. Uh, I hate big butts and I cannot lie. (laughs) That's terrible. It is terrible, terrible, but we're tired. I, I, yeah, and we're tired. So we're going to push on. See that the, the one thing I I've heard the same thing. Um, and it's the 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 and should be followed by a so, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I forget what book it's actually in a book somewhere. Um, and I don't remember what book it was. I feel like I read it recently too. Um, but it's instead of a but, put an and, and at the end of the and the 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 section with the and, put a so, and and that that creates a moment of action instead of a reason for inaction and i think that that's that's i mean don't and don't get me wrong like i still struggle with this too um you know i have a full-time job and a commute so there's a lot of butts in there there's just butts everywhere um and and the toughest thing as 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 you know a human being is to be able to 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 take a step back and to step outside of even even in misery there are comfort zones you know even even in misery there's predictability and that predictability is sometimes more comforting than the possibilities that can come from unpredictability, from uncertainty. So, you know, there are plenty of relationships and plenty of people in careers that they don't like and, and people who, who suffer through certain things because they're comfortable in that misery. And I think that until you, you have the guts to take a step outside of that, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm basically trying to convince myself of that right now. Um, until you have the guts to take a hard step outside of that, you're always going to be living in that misery. 
to quote my favorite uh, Kurt Cobain line of all time, I miss the comfort in being sad. Wow. You know, I know that this is supposed to be a quote episode, but this one is very quote heavy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Inspiration episode, more like quote episode, guys. Yeah, bro. Gross. <laughs> all right. We're 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 losing our minds here, <laughs> and we're doing it for you. Well, yeah. let's move into the second half of the show. And um, Lamb, why don't you tell us about something that uh, some sort of thing that you've been digesting that's been inspiring you? Holy crap, Song Exploder, by far. I mean, I, I've been, so many people have told me about it. You told me about it. Um, you know, we've even talked about it on the podcast. You know, Eric was talking about it last night uh, when I was hanging out with him. He was just, you know, I, I asked him at the Randy podcast. Um, he was listening to, and even before I could finish the sentence, he immediately said Song Exploder. And let me tell you, I mean, if you're a lover of music or if you're a lover of creativity in general and you really want to get a, a sense of, of um, what it takes to write some of the songs that, that you've come to know and love and to, to really understand what what the artists the artists really felt going into them. I mean, the Song Exploder is incredible in that it's it's it doesn't particularly stick to a certain genre or a type of artist or anything like that. Like they do... Um, artists that are very obscure, um, at least obscure to me. Um, I've discovered a few artists through there, um, but they also do um, very big artists um, that have nothing to do with each other. For example, um, there's Bjork, then Metallica, then Alt-J, and everything in between. So by far the most creatively inspiring thing I've seen in a long time. And to hear it from their own voices and to hear... Um, them candidly speak about some of the most memorable songs they've ever written is pretty telling. I mean, there are some things, for example, where you would have an expectation that, that a certain line was really serious and they meant it that way, but it was, you know, someone getting drunk and writing it on a napkin. And then the other side of that is you take a song that isn't very serious um, to you as a listener, and then you realize that it's them writing about something very serious in order to make light of it. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's magical. It's, it's, it has, taken and i have a lot of great podcasts that i listen to but it has taken the mantle as the best podcast in my collection of podcasts yeah there's for those who haven't um listened to it first of all these song exploder episodes are very short they're like 15 minutes long um at longest and essentially what it is is uh i can't remember uh the guy's name is it hirakash is it hirakash herway um, let me let me find it. Let me find it while you're talking. Okay, he he takes the artist. Sometimes it's it's a single artist. Sometimes it is a band, like a full band. Um, sometimes it's just one member of a band. But they take a song, and it, it's a, it's essentially a quick boil down of what uh, VH1 used to do with classic albums, and it takes this person and they talk about the song, but they talk about the song in a deconstructive way. So they'll say something about the guitar. Um, you know, this is this is what the I was doing with the guitar here. And this is why I was doing it. And then they'll just play that. So they have the original tapes of the of the the masters of these recordings of these songs. So they can turn off the rest of the song and just play the one part that they're talking about. I I came to this realization because Eric was um, telling Ryan to check out the podcast that podcast. And uh, while they were talking about it, and I kind of. Um, jumped in on their conversation it hit me that without realizing it that podcast 
is the exact blueprint that I stole when I when I suggested us moving towards creativity. The idea uh. because that podcast, what's it do? It takes that the creativity of writing that song and deconstructs it. And what do I say on this show all the time, every time? There's a podcast dedicated to creativity, to deconstructing creativity, to breaking it down. It all comes from there in in some small way. So do yourself a favor and go listen to that. Uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, Rishikesh Herway. There we go. Oh, and you know what? Also, that reminds me of something that I, I actually forgot to put on my list to mention. I told you about it. Um, there's a documentary on uh hbo called everything is copy about the writer director nora efren uh, i didn't really know a lot about nora efren um i just kind of put it on coincidentally meryl streep has to ha- happens to have a fairly uh big part of the documentary because she was in a lot of nora efren films so that was a good lead into studying meryl streep but uh it's it's just a great biography of an artist uh in general but the one part that I wanted to bring up right here is there's there's a a section where they're talking about when Harry met Sally, and the in the film when Harry met Sally, the most famous scene is Meg Ryan's character explaining to Billy Crystal's character that sometimes women fake orgasms, and then she proves it by faking an orgasm in the middle of this diner full of people, and at the end of the scene, this old woman who's staring over the waitress comes up to her. She says, I'll have what she's having. And it's, it's like the most famous scene in this movie. And in everything is copy the documentary. They, they show a clip of Charlie Rose asking Nora Ephron about that scene. And, uh, she basically says that it, it was, it wasn't something that she came up with. Um, she had been going through the process. So when Harry met Sally is essentially about relations between men and when, women. And is it possible for men and women to actually be friends without sex coming into it? And so in order to accomplish the script, uh, she went around and she started interviewing uh, men uh, about, you know, like little, secret little men things. What do men talk about? You know, the stuff that women already know about women. She wanted to know what men know about men. And uh, so she talked to Rob Reiner, who's the, the director of When Harry Met Sally, and a few other people. And in the process of talking to Rob Reiner and somebody else about this, the the fact that women fake orgasms sometimes came up. And apparently they didn't know this. Maybe the only reason most of us know this is because of When Harry Met Sally. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyways, because of that, she you know this conversation, she, oh, well, maybe we should put that into the script. So, you know, there's like a joint effort here and already because now she's having this conversation with Rob Reiner that creates a scene. So they put the scene in and they're doing the scene. And during the scene, it was just the conversation. The the, the actually faking um, the orgasm wasn't part of the scene yet. Um, so when they're running through the scene, Meg Ryan goes, what, why don't I just do that? Why don't I just make that? And they're like, would you do that? She's like, yeah. So Meg Ryan throws her part in. And then they get to the end of the scene, and then Billy Crystal throws in the part about the woman saying, I'll have what she is having. So this this the most famous scene in this movie is just a complete joint effort. And uh, I, that totally fits everything we've said earlier about letting go of ego. You know, mm-hmm. just getting that collaborative spirit. Go check out that documentary. 
Lamb, what what else you got for us? Uh, what what do you have for us? Was that your thing? The 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 documentary? No, that was just a comment. But I don't want to go off on a tangent on my own for too long. <laughs> um, Song Exploder. Um, I have been diving strangely back into um, so two two such weirdly opposite things. Um, the Fallen, which is a, a show on or a Netflix show that I guess originated. I, I don't know where it originated. I didn't really look at the origins of it, but um, I still think it to be Gillian Anderson's best work or The, the Fall. I'm the sorry, fall, not The yeah. Fall. Yeah, The Fall. Um, Gillian Anderson's best work. Um, and I really, really liked her in Hannibal. So that's that's saying something. Um, I also loved her in X-Files. So that's really um, telling in many ways. Um the fall is fantastic, um, and and something a little different for me, which is um, um, the new Star Trek series that's coming out on CBS. Um, I've been kind of monitoring that one pretty closely because I'm a huge Trek nerd, um, Trekkie for for those. I, I I hate calling myself that, but I guess that's the most apt. Um, and really, really hoping that they get it right. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, like I, you know, we've talked in the past about remaining true to source material and how little I care about that. But what I do care about is the essence or the soul of a series being lost because of because of an executive's need for marketing. So I'm very, very worried about that series, considering how many twists and turns it's taken, um, including. You know, speaking of Hannibal, the the original showrunner uh, Brian Fuller, who is one of my favorite showrunners in all of the 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 cinematic world, um, was originally slated to to helm that show. Um, that pun is entirely intended, um, <laughs> and he pulled out. Uh, uh, you know, because of creative differences and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the, the reasons are not really spectacularly clear as to why he pulled out, but he was a huge Trek nerd. Um, and he he was I I at least thought that he was going to do the series justice. Um, the trailer was, for it was released, and I was pretty excited by how the trailer looked, even though a lot of people ripped on it for not looking like the the classic series. Um, I, I, I by the way, I still hate that. Um, of course, it's not going to look like the classic series. The classic series was made fifty years ago. <laughs> so so yeah, it's going to look updated, guys. And yeah, the, we understand space flight and 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 the perils of space much more clearly now than we did uh, fifty years ago because we've been there. So. Uh, everyone just let go of that, um, please. Um, but yeah, I hope they maintain the, the essence of the, the, the series and the show and the spirit of Star Trek and they do it right. Well, for the record, when The Next Generation came out, they complained that it didn't look like the original series, too. Ah, so lame. And it ended up being, at least in my opinion, it's by far the best series um, of any of the, the the Star Trek series that have been out. Absolutely. And when Deep Space Nine came out, they complained that it wasn't on a ship. Yeah, that the the ship wasn't moving. Yeah, Ugh, and, so annoying. And they were mad because it was the first thing that wasn't on the Enterprise. There's always going to be somebody to complain about something. Just uh, sure. just go and look at any tech blog right now. Um, now that Apple's released all of their stuff, and find out how many people are complaining about small details. Of course, <laughs> those are people. Are. Those are people that are treading treading in the path of the of the ego right there. They're so concerned with all the small things that the, they've missed the the grand story. Uh, I think the trailer for the, the Star Trek series looked pretty great. It it was yep. I enjoyed it a lot. I love the fact that it's the first time we have a female captain and a female first officer. Um mm-hmm. and that's 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 really um I think that's a big thing. You know, people might think that's not a big thing, but I I think that's a big deal because maybe as, as 
It's on uh, CBS, am I correct? Yeah, the CBS All Access is it's going to be online only. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Either You're way, even going to play it on on TV. Being on a being on a main network like that and uh, having two women of power um, helming a show, it's it's steering steering society in the right direction, in my opinion. Um, sure. That people are starting to uh, be comfortable. I shouldn't say people. That marketing and uh, corporations are starting to become comfortable with what the rest of us already know, that men and women are actually equal. Um, but before I go on another tangent, <laughs> speaking of, actually speaking of that, um, this, without intending to, I played right into the first thing that I wanted to um, share that I've been into, which is the Originality Podcast. Um, Lamb Lam brought up a podcast of uh, Song Exploder, which is, even though they file themselves in uh, art, they could be right in the group with us of creativity-themed podcasts. Originality is also a, a, a creativity-themed podcast. And what's fascinating about Originality, um, not only is it a really good show, but it's almost uh, like the mirror image of our show in the sense that it's a podcast about creativity, uh, finding out how creators uh, take ideas and bring them to life but it's hosted instead of by two men, it's hosted by two women. So if you guys look in the overcast charts, you'll see us and originality trading places and the, the illusionist kicking us both in the teeth continually. To the the ladies of originality, welcome to the podcast world. I know you guys have other podcasts. Welcome to the creativity podcasting world. They're bringing some really good stuff. They've They've done two episodes so far. They have kind of uh, their their format is, is sort of similar to Radio Lab in the sense that uh, it's the two of them talking with. They've done interviews with people, but it's not just the full interview; it's just clips from the interview um, intermingled into the conversation that they're having with each other. It's really good. You guys should go listen to it. I I must admit I still haven't yet. Shame. Yeah, I know. I, know. I just, you know, you know how it is, man. I have such a vast list of podcasts I listen to now that it's, you know, I'm still listening to to some long ones. Like I still listen to Hardcore History, um, and those things. Oh are yeah, it's like a week and a half of listening, right? Yeah, there. it's it's like an entire, you know. Thank goodness, or not thank goodness. I hate my long commute, but my long commute does afford me the amount of time it takes to to listen to a podcast like that. But it still takes two or three days worth of driving for me to digest an entire episode. I just digested in two days the the entirety of uh, the Up and Vanished podcast, uh, which is a well, actually it's not even over yet, but uh, it was like something like fifty episodes. It's it's a crime podcast, and I love those crime podcasts, a la Serial and S Town and so forth. Sure, sure. What's uh, that one? A sword and it's called Sword and Stone, I think. What's oh, Sword and Scales. Sword and Scale, yeah, that's right. It's a reference yeah. to the Statue of Lady Justice. Uh, I got sword you. in one hand, the scales in the other. Uh, I haven't listened to that one. I think that's about um, courtroom stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm not so much interested in that. I like the investigation. Sure. Anything else you want to share with us that you've been into? Um, I want to share how I'm 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 into it. Um, I think that the timing is really important. Um. Like with uh, with Song Exploder, I don't. I, there are, there are definitely times of day that I'd prefer to listen to it, 
And I don't think I could listen to it during the day, like when I'm driving around or just, you know, because I feel like there's certain podcasts that you can kind of just throw on in the background and, and listen to while you're doing other things. But I definitely feel like Song Exploder is one that you have to listen to carefully. So I've now added that to my my list of things that I do at the end of the night. Um, it's it's going to be one episode every single night before I go to sleep. Nice. It's your bedtime story. Yeah, exactly. So the last thing I have kicking around in my head is a beautifully described process for a creation of a work of fiction. Um, and that's what I, I dream to. I like that. Um, you know what I've been... I, I don't know that I intentionally did this. You know what I've been doing recently is I've been watching a lot of documentaries about video games. Huh. It's kind of strange, right? Yeah. Like I watched uh, Man vs. Snake, which is really good it's about a guy that uh played this arcade game in the 80s called uh nibbler i think it's called nibbler it's essentially like remember um the nokia phones used to have that game of snake on them mm-hmm. where you have to keep moving the snake around without eating its tail uh, or touching any other part of it but uh, it keeps growing longer and longer it's essentially that game uh but like a atari looking version and it's this guy got like the world record or whatever, and then, and it's it's just about him trying to get it again. Um, it's it, but it's fascinating to see this subculture that and it still exists, and it's not the gaming culture that we know, but like the old gaming culture, which is in, to me akin sort of to the old Dungeons and Dragons um, thing in the sense that uh, it was very. There was magazines dedicated to it and rankings and, um, you know, people would go to arcades and, and get these scores on our, in arcades so that there was witnesses to them doing it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so that it could be published. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it, this is one I watched a long time ago. Uh, kind of goes along with it. It's called King of Kong, which is about, uh, Donkey Kong. Um, that's a great documentary. And then another one I stumbled across is one called Nintendo Quest. And it's about this guy that uh, decides he wants to collect every single Nintendo game that was ever made, which was, I think, 768. Uh, And his friend challenges, his friend's the documentary filmmaker, challenges challenges him to get all 768 in 30 days without using the internet in any way, shape, or form. Huh. So he's driving around to places that have Nintendo cartridges and just buying any that he can find, but he has a budget, a fixed budget, um, and he just learns some really fascinating things about things that you didn't think people were still paying attention to. Like, for example, that the most rare Nintendo game is a game called uh, Track and Field? Shoot. No. Track Events? Dang I think it's called track events. I just totally messed up by not remembering the name of it. Uh, but essentially, people have sold it for like $70,000. Holy crap. Yeah. So fascinating stuff. Wow. That's shocking. <laughs> I'm not sure in what way those are inspiring me other than just like getting me excited about uh, maybe maybe they inspire me because they make me want to make a documentary. Hey man, sometimes sometimes it's not useful to know why. It's just useful to do. 
That's and you'll discover the why later. I think I think that's that's actually kind of something that I meant to talk about on this on this episode, and I totally forgot to. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, is that you know let let your heart and 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 mind wander where it wants to. Um, like you know I've been really diving into to Nordic history lately, so I'm kind of on the same path as you. Like just something that makes absolutely zero reasonable sense for where I am as a person, but. Yeah, man, I'm 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 obsessed with with the the kings of old when it comes to to the the Nordic history that we, and it comes from, um, it comes from how much I I I think we completely misunderstand Nordic history. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, and but it's also inspired me to to want to write some pretty some pretty visceral stuff so um you know it, I, I you consume what you need in the time that you need it and then it produce it, it helps you to produce what your your heart and mind is trying to get out to the rest of the world yeah i, I think you bring up a very good point there i think sometimes we use uh this idea of inspiration as a utility it's not always a utility sometimes it's just uh an energy thing sometimes you just need energy from something and it gives it to you and you don't know what the purpose of of that energy is. It might not even be related to the thing which gives you energy, like going for a walk. Uh, you know, the, there's no direct correlation to I go for a walk, therefore I am inspired to create shoes. No, sometimes you just go for a walk because you need energy, and then you use that for whatever thing that you need to work on. So that's a very good point that you bring up, and that single mindedness is probably. Um, a bad, bad mindset for. I'm, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Single-mindedness in general is bad. Yeah, there's there's never an instance in which limiting how you think about something directly helps it. Um, you know, I, I've been, I, I'm trying to. If anyone out there can think of something where that is actually the case, you know, obviously maybe disarming a bomb or something. You probably shouldn't be um, have 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 your mind wander too much, but. I can't think of an endeavor in which you need to create something or 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 need to work with other people in which being narrow-minded is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean obviously for creativity, narrow-mindedness is is the enemy. For utility, single-mindedness is the utility. Um like you said, dismantling a bomb or um deciding you're going to achieve a goal. That's a place where single-mindedness comes in handy. Sure. Um Speaking of strange places too, you know, I've, I've, I'm not gonna go into details here because this could be epically long. But uh, just watching the Worldwide Developer Conference keynote from Apple on Monday, where they they announce all the changes that are coming to the software and in this case um, to hardware. To me, that is, I, I've watched every single one of those since the first iPhone. Um, you can call me a super fan if you want. That's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, but it always inspires me. And it's it's not that I'm a developer. Um, I don't know how to code. And it's not that I'm, I'm building hardware or anything to do with any of that world. I, mean, I think it just inspires me because, you know, here's this little device. And, and this could go for um, Android devices as well. I'm just not in that world. I don't know a lot about it. But here's this little device, and every it's got this software on it that's helping us do things every day. And every year, they work to improve that. How can we dial this in a little bit further? How can we make this a little bit better? What if we put this here? And it, it's it's 
it is an exemplification of so many of the things that we talk about on the show. Um, the idea of, of failure being an illusion, you know, oh, we tried this. It didn't work. You guys didn't like the old control center. So now we made a new control center and then you don't like that one. So then we made a new one and they keep working at it and trying to improve it and try. And they always seem to jump forward in some way, in my opinion, to where I get my phone and I go, oh, you know, it's like I for, we forget that we were holding this thing in our hand all the time. And this goes for computers and everything else that they make, too. Uh, we forget that what we're holding in our hands is a modern marvel. It is a marvel of engineering. It, it, it's uh, There's a... I will try to find it. I think it's called... Uh, now I can't remember what it's called. Wow, th- th- my brain is really just broken today. Uh, there's, there's an essay that somebody wrote about this idea of uh, we live in the future. Right now, we live in the future. But uh, we live in a bubble that makes us forget that. That we look at this phone and all we see is this phone. All we see is uh, Siri didn't understand me. All we see is is this. But we don't ever actually just look down and go, this thing is incredible. Mm-hmm. And if you told, you know, any, if you told a uh, 12-year-old lamb that you're going to be able to play video games, listen to music, take photos, and talk to people all in a little tiny box in your pocket he wouldn't have believed you dude if you told if if you told adult lamb that he wouldn't have believed it 10 years ago <laughs> and i think that's why this fascinates me is because it it reminds me of the it brings back the wonder in these devices you know you and i talked about it briefly about how uh just some of the stuff that that, that they're doing um is it brings me back to a lot of times they always bring me back to the stock apps mm-hmm. um, because, you know, time goes by and I'm using something else because I need I need this specific feature. And then they just slightly polish one of the apps and I go, you know what? Maybe I just I don't need that. Maybe I just need to use a stock one again. The stock one's pretty incredible. And it just brings me back to that that simplicity. But that wonder and, and that inspires me every time I watch a, an Apple keynote. I make something. And that that's a strange well, place to find inspiration, but I do. That's that's that explains why you uh if if people could only see the text message strings that go back and forth between us. <laughs> um there there this week folks, um there have been some epic ones by Chad. And yeah, that's that explains why you dove back into Apple Notes. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, just the fact that they they brought handwriting search which is what I always wanted Apple Notes to have. I I just want everything simple and easy. You guys are, you know, I just, we just put up our screens, our home screens, not too long ago. By the time we get back to the te- tools and techniques episode, I'll probably have a completely different home screen. Uh, but it'll probably be less than I had before. I'm just narrowing it down. I don't know. It's, it's. Yeah, mine's, mine's, mine's already changed since our last episode pretty significantly. <laughs> It happens, but I think that everybody knows that. You know, if anybody, if there's anybody out there that has like the same home screen on their phone and has had it for a really long time and is happy with every app they have and haven't changed anything out, send us a screenshot. Cause I want to see what you're using. Yeah, that's impressive. Seriously. Um. Anyways, but that fascinating. I can't wait to. I'm considering possibly doing a epically long 
blog. Yes, B-L-O-G. I'm planning on maybe doing one of those, just talking about this iOS 11, uh, because there's a lot of things about it that fascinate me. And the reason this stuff fascinates me also, by the way, is because I, I like the idea of uh, some, something being able to help me do something very fast and uh, just knock things out of the way quickly and easily so that I can focus on being present. You know, if I if I know I have an app that I just boom, 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 put that in there and then it's taken care of and I can let go of that as opposed to having to go through 15 steps that I had to go through before, that's always going to make me happy. Uh, anything else you want to share, Lamb? Um, no, uh, other than, other than like, actually to, to roll along with your point, um, ah, you know, we talk about it enough. It's, it's, it's all about, it's all about finding what, what works for you and what makes you happy. Like I'm trying, I, I think after we're done with the, the next, uh, tools episode, I, I may try a different challenge, which is if I were to pick eight apps to have on my home screen, what would they be? Wow. That's great. For those of you who maybe missed the last episode, also, Lamb has put out a challenge to the audience that he's doing himself. Um, Lamb, you want to tell your two challenges? I shouldn't tell it for you. It's your challenge. Yeah, sure. Um, the first one is the... Um, the um, oh, man, I forgot the hashtag off the top of my head. Low-tech challenge? Low-tech challenge is the journaling challenge, um, using not using an app to track tasks and stuff like that. Um, that one is was rough for the first couple of days just because I'm so used to looking for notifications. I know that sounds weird, but it's it's odd how quickly one gets used to um certain certain things. So that's been very very challenging. Um and now it's actually forced me to change my habits and in a weird kind of way um it achieved what I thought it would but much quicker um which is it has it has made me very present. Um like I, I have to physically work to take out the notebook. So I don't check my, you know, I don't check it as often as I did my phone, which was like every, every 30 minutes, um, with the notebook, um, or with the journal, I'm sorry, my little moleskin buddy. Um, I, I check it once every four or five hours. So I'm actually just doing stuff a lot more, um, which has been really interesting. And then the, the last one is the, or the second one is the, um, happy 60 challenge. Happy 60. Jeez, thank you, Chad. Holy crap. I had to type them, so that's why I know. <laughs> yeah, I just, I literally just, I, I, I haven't even had coffee today. That's what the days have looked like for me so far. Um, <clears throat> that one I've been doing for, for the last three weeks, um, and I've been adding things to it um, and taking certain things away. Um, like I think, for example, that, you know, initially when I, I, I started doing the challenge, I needed something to break me out of the uh, work mindset, but I think now that I've done it enough, I, I've, I've, I'm able to do it much quicker. Um, so now I'm adding creative things like the podcast song exploder, for example. Can so you, the one thing I, what's that? Can you quickly explain what it is? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Um, last hour of your day, do nothing that involves a screen. Um, don't watch TV, don't read news, don't do anything actually just literally don't do anything that requires your, your brain to, to work in a, a, a logistical way. Um, and so, yeah, just, just try to find a way to calm yourself down, slow down your pace and be happy. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if this is the same for everybody else, but for me, um, creativity is the most exciting thing to me seeing cool stuff and, and seeing how it's constructed um is really fascinating to me um 
So end your day on a happy creative note. And what the process in order to do that is um, for anyone who's diving into it brand new, um, 30 minutes before that last hour of your day, um, start thinking about winding down. And then the last 60 minutes are just all about happiness. Just find something that makes you happy and do it. So you guys, if you didn't jump in on the last one, it's not too late to jump in on these challenges. The hashtags are low tech challenge, all one word. And happy 60 challenge, all one word, but with the number 60, not the word 60. Um, Put them into Instagram, whatever you're using that accepts hashtags, and hopefully we will see them because we want to see what you guys are up to. But to make sure we see them, you can always, always tag us, which on Instagram is at randombadassery, on Twitter at randombadassery. Um, I might as well just tell you guys everything. I keep forgetting to remind you guys that we have all these things. We have a subreddit. So if you want to go on there and share some stuff, um, it's open to links of about creativity. Be nice to each other. Um, start to create a community. That would be fantastic. Uh, what else do we have? <laughs> yeah. We haven't really, we kind of gave up on the medium thing because it just wasn't working. So don't find us there. Uh oh, you can always, always don't forget it's it's it, it never goes away that you can always rate and review us on iTunes. We want to grow this audience, and the only way to do that, unfortunately, is to get on our knees and beg you guys for ratings and reviews because without that, we will never ever ever rank on the iTunes charts ever. And if you don't rank on the iTunes chart, you really don't ever go anywhere as far as growing your audience. You There's a certain level that you max out on without iTunes. That's the world we live in. Um, I don't know any other way to change that. But what I would say is even more important, and it, I shouldn't undercut the importance of that because that's a stupid thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. What's even more important is that you share this with people who would appreciate it. Just because that's what you should do with good content. And if you happen to think this content is good, then you should share it. If you don't, then obviously you won't anyways. You're probably not at this point in the show. But I I hate doing this. I hate asking you guys to do these things. because um, Not because I'm embarrassed or any of those things. But just I hate harping on it. It, it sounds um, silly, but you feel like you're bugging people. And I don't want to bug you guys. I want to inspire you. I want you guys, I want to give you guys so much value that uh, you're lining up to give us ratings and reviews in, in iTunes, that you're telling everyone you know about these episodes. Uh, but in the meantime, until we achieve that level of skill, I have to ask you. And uh, that's just the way it is. And I, I hope you understand. I'm kind of getting over that. Um... Over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, especially given the, the few episodes that we've done um, with interviews, or actually the only episode we've done with interviews and the second one we have lined up here, um, I'm, I'm getting over that a little bit in the sense that I feel like we're, we're doing something that's, that, that can be very beneficial. And I feel like asking people for help, at least from our perspective now, is about asking for the ability to do bigger and better things so that we can give more back. Um, so what that feels like to me now is it's not just, you, you know, us asking you guys to, 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 to review and rank us in order for us to, to get a wider audience, but it's for us to be able to get a big enough audience that we can start 
potentially getting sponsors. We can start potentially interviewing um, bigger and bigger artists, or not bigger and bigger. They're, all of the artists are big and, and you know to us because we love them all. Um, but more popular artists that you guys really want to hear about or hear from, um, and to also be able to to come into these episodes um, without with less of a, a, a reliance on our day jobs or the things that, that we have to do in order to make it so that this podcast is possible. Um, the more the more you guys help us, the more we can help you. And that cyclical relationship is what creates beautiful things. And, and I feel like, you know, we, we are on the cusp of, of creating um, something that can be dramatically helpful for a lot of creative people and just a lot of people in general. So... I'm not just going to ask you for for ratings and reviews. I'm going to ask you for help. And I what I can offer you in return is if you guys help us, we will try our best to 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 provide more amazing content um or better content or more more thorough content um in order to to make it so that you guys can live better creative lives as well. Yeah, I would love to be able to do a tour. Ugh, to bring to or, bring or do, or do a or do a panel at like Comic-Con or something. That'd be amazing. Just to be able to bring this to people closer to them and, and like have them be a part of it. You know, like uh, we haven't done this in, in a while. Um, I also haven't mentioned that anytime you guys have questions that you want us to talk about on the show, ask. Just ask. And and we'll find a way to incorporate those, those in. We want you guys to be a part of this. And, then, you know, another thing I'd love to do, and this, this requires the exposure, and this is, I would love to be able to do something like, for you guys, to be able to grab, like, hey, now that we've attained this level of uh, people knowing what our podcast is, hey, Nick Cave, hey, Bjork, we would love to sit both of you down in a room and have you guys talk to each other. Because our uh, audience would be interested in that. I would love to be able to do those things. So this, I mean, when we ask for these things, and maybe that's that's where the whole thing comes from, uh, is we're not asking because it's about us. It, 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 but it is about us. It's about all of us. It's about Lamb, me, and you guys, and the relationship that we have, and growing this, and to incorporate more people... Because in all honesty, if I go to somebody and I say I have, you know, 1,000 listeners, it doesn't have the same pull as saying I have 100,000 listeners. Because you can, unfortunately, the, the way the world works is that's how doors get opened for people to be able to do some of the things we want to do for you guys. But either way, we love you guys. We love the fact that you're always here. Um, I love the fact that we've been hearing from some of you. That's always fantastic. So continue that, continue that and uh, throw some questions our way, throw some ratings and reviews our way, throw some drawings our way, show us some of the creative stuff you're doing, you know, tag us on Instagram when you put up some of your art so we can see what you're making. Let's, 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 let's really uh, stop being the silent majority and let's, let's, let's all contribute to each other's lives. Lamb. <laughs> I thought you were going to end there. <laughs> I was not going to end there because I haven't done what has become, I think I will call it, since our fans are quiet, a fan favorite. It's time for Lamb's words of wisdom. Oh, man. Wow. Um, After he beats up his microphone. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one um, because we now we're changing gears back into the episode again. Okay, so let, let, me, let me recap 
in my own mind. I guess the the takeaway from this episode is, at least for me, I mean, we've talked about quite a few things, but for me, the thing that stands out is forget safety. Screw safety. Um, Safety and predictability is for the weak at heart. And we all don't want to be weak at heart. We want to be strong. We want to be, we want to lead with our hearts. So dump safety and look for strength instead. Oh!